Welcome once again to Cup in the World. My name is David and for the third time this week I'm joined by Dr. John Norris as we come to the conclusion of our series. I hope you are excited to be here. I am very excited to be here. We are going to be talking about what does it mean to experience victory in the flesh. I chose that song. I know I've played it for you before because it's a great reminder that each one of us needs to grow up in the sense that we need to grow in our knowledge of God. Growth is being um, better than we were yesterday and uh, that means being the best version of ourselves. That's really what Cabin Devils is about, that will keep each one of us connected to the Savior. He has said in his word that without him we can do nothing. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And our devotions tonight is going to be talking about rest, rest. And I did post out, um, the, the poster for today had uh, a statement, maybe, maybe your flesh needs to rest. Maybe, and this is a very big maybe, that your flesh only needs rest uh, for us to be able to overcome certain uh, struggles in our lives. I have a friend here that did not understand what that meant. And uh, flesh has been used, by the way, before uh, to mean the physical body. And of course, when Paul talks about the fact that he has been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives, he says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. And that is not to mean that the life I live in sin, I live by faith. It's in the fact that he, the life he lives in this physical body. And so in my usage of the word, maybe your flesh needs to rest is accurate to mean maybe your physical body needs to rest and that is really the question that we're going to start with as we begin to find victory when it comes to the flesh so that's it if you got it the first time good for you but let me also say that it is true that we are most susceptible to sin when we are exhausted a tired fellow is quick to anger and the question we're going to be answering first today is that is there a relationship between physical exhaustion and, uh, and, and, and sin? And how do we sometimes respond to challenges and, and, and temptations? Could that be? Could that be a result of our being exhausted uh, spiritually? Maybe, maybe not. And that's going to be our discussion uh, for this evening. But there's a big but. There's a big but. In as much as we're talking about physical exhaustion and trying to draw a direct line between that and sin, there is a big but. And the but here is it is possible that idleness can still be sinful. It is possible that we can be vulnerable when we are idle. Think about David who woke up in the evening as kings went to war and there he saw a woman bathing. And of course, the rest is disaster. Karen Newhoff said that uh, time off will not heal you when the problem is how you spend time on. And I believe he has a point right there. Time off will not heal you when the problem is how you spend uh, time on. And Second thing to remember here is resting is not the same as being idle. Why? Resting is not only when you're tired. Okay, that, that, that is going to be strange for some of you. But resting is not only when you're tired. Um, think, think about it. Think about it. God rested on the Sabbath. Why? Was he tired? Of course not. 
Now, in the recent past, I've come to believe that the answer to that question is in the words that conclude each day of creation when he says he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And Genesis chapter 1, just talking about rest and the first time we hear of this word, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, into chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The seventh day, God rests. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I want to believe that the the concept of resting is right there, built up in the fact that he looks and he saw everything he had made, and he said it was very good. Here is the punchline. Think about the life of Christ as well. Upon his death, he said, it is finished. It is finished. But many times we go to bed saying it is not finished. And the reason for that I want to believe is because we are limited, yes, in our being. And uh, I don't intend to encourage laziness, but work for that day, work for today, will only fit in 24 hours, ladies and gentlemen. You do not have 25 hours. You don't have 26 hours. Each one of us only has 24 hours. We need to run, to learn to rest. Dr. John, this evening we are not looking for someone to blame, but do you think there's a relationship between physical exhaustion and fleshly patterns? Give us some wisdom tonight. 100%, David. Yes, physical exhaustion to me uh, means that I have been uh, working and doing uh, all of my activities, uh, or many of them, I guess, in the flesh. Um, if I, you know, am, am saying, oh, I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. I've got to meet this need and do this for this person and that. And, you know, if I'm not, um, taking care of my physical body as part of the way that I care for others, I definitely can get to the point where, where I will burn out, uh, and it will, and it, and then I'll be no use to anyone. So I think that's part of this discussion that we've had this week is really, you know, recognizing that God is the one who is, you know, all powerful, all knowing. He's uh, eternal. Uh, We are the ones who are kind of limited by time and space in the bodies that we have. But the main advantage that we have is that we have God in us. And so if we're able to to discern our flesh and to discern when we're working and doing our activities in the flesh, then that will be a way that we can help prevent ourselves from getting to that point where we're no use to God, no use to anybody because we've been uh, overdoing it in our flesh. And what are some of the disciplines, Dr. John, that uh, you have put in place or try to follow to try and, and, and save you from the disaster of being physically exhausted? We've talked before uh, and you've said, well, I'm going to be back home and I shall be able to tune in and be able to speak to you guys. Um, and you're going back home sometimes earlier than most people would. 
But over the years, in your busy schedule, how have you been able to find time to rest? Maybe some of the things you've been able to do can help us uh, today. Yeah, I find that I work well within a routine. And, and so for me, uh, rest uh, at night means that I go to bed at 10 o'clock. Uh, it's not, that's not a legalistic 10 p.m. Uh, sometimes it's 1030. Uh, but before I do that, I turn off all of my um, phone, all of the notifications, and, and I do what I call unplugging. I, I pull everything else out and, and I try to put my focus in the evening on God right before I go to sleep. Um, he is so gracious and I find, I, I know a lot of patients and I have a lot of friends, Christian friends who struggle with, with sleep. And, um, and, and if I lay down at 10 PM, uh, almost always I will wake up sometime between 5 AM and 5:30, completely refreshed. And then what I like to do first thing in the morning is spend some time uh, with the Lord. Uh, now, as I've gotten older, I found that my body starts to uh, rebel against those uh, early starts. But but what I like to do is get up and I'll do something that's kind of automatic in my brain. I start making a cup of coffee and I'll do some sit-ups, maybe uh, 10 or 15 or 20 sit-ups to just try to get my my muscles moving and my, my body working. And, uh, and then, you know, I'll sit down with the word and, and I'll maybe open an Oswald Chambers devotion and have a quiet time. And I know there are people who think that, that quiet times early in the morning might, might be uh, legalism. Uh, for me, it's just what I would call a heart healthy habit. It's, it's a habit that, you know, that I've gotten into. Uh, and as long as I can maintain that kind of a daily habit, then it really helps me to focus on what's going on uh, during that day. And Jesus was explicit when he talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, worry about today. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And I love what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when I get to the day, then I start looking at the day's schedule. You know, you've talked about so many things um, that you do, and we, we have some of that in common, especially when it comes to the quiet time in the morning. But I must confess that I do struggle to switch off. Um, I, I love technology and... Uh, I've, I've kind of put most of my life on the screen. My quiet time is on the iPad. Bible is there. It's easy to reach. It's easy to keep notes there. They're kept in the cloud. I actually have my quiet time from 2013, I think. 2013. Some of my notes uh, are up there. It's interesting when I'm looking at the similar passage and I see a note on the Bible and I pick it up. But one of the things I'm going to try and do in the near future, near future could be as soon as we hang up to develop that discipline, what you call unplugging, to deliberately put away the screen so I can rest. Why? Because work is there, emails are popping up and uh, someone wants your attention on WhatsApp. And so thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. Ladies and gentlemen, let's pick it up and uh, just be able to unplug 
I know most of us tuning in today are younger people, not young, but younger. And Instagram can be a temptation. WhatsApp status can be a temptation. Facebook can be a temptation. Let's learn. Let's learn to unplug. Let's learn to unplug. And here's a very brief message, brief message to the leaders present here. I know Frank Matovu is a youth pastor. I have not seen Seth today, but I believe he's not far. Um, Peterson, I know you're involved in ministry. Joel, I know you're a leader. And uh, I, I, let me read this for you. And for some of us who may not be in leadership positions, I think this is going to bless your heart when it comes to rest. These are three sins of refusing to rest. Three sins of refusing to rest. These were done by a gentleman, I don't know if a gentleman or a lady called Jenny Catron. This was on uh, July 9th, 2015. July 9th, 2015. And, and, and this is what they said. They quoted, of course, Exodus 20 that uh, presents keeping the Sabbath as a law. And uh, from verse 8, verse 11, I mean, from, from verse 8 to verse 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in it, in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is what Genesis says, I believe the inability to honor the Sabbath is a leader's greatest danger. And here's why. Leaders thrive on accomplishments. And this really spoke to me today. He says, leaders thrive on accomplishment. We are wired for productivity. We are naturally inclined to maximize time and opportunity. A few extra hours to catch up when others are at, the rest, uh, are at, at rest makes us feel like we are getting ahead of the game. Some of us wake up early or stay up late to get a few more things done. We check our phones during the time with family to respond to just one email. Or how about going to the office just for a couple of hours on a holiday to catch up on a project? Phone time is a precious commodity to us because our plates are full and we are spinning fast. And it says, if you're like me, you might be tempted to see the Sabbath as a luxury you can't afford. Somehow, we are tempted to believe we are above the law. And this, my friends, is a dangerous place for us to be. Three sins of the Sabbath violation. And one of the first ones he mentioned, he says, pride. Pride. And this is our inability to recognize our limits and to acknowledge our dependence on God. That is sin. It's a violation of God's directive to us. When we can't Take God at his word, we are struggling. We are suggesting we know better. When we can't take him for his word, we are suggesting we know better. The other sin they mention is the sin of fear. Trusting God with our limitations can be frightening. We fear what it means for our identity, reputation, and future. If there are elements out of control, out of fear we seek to control and manipulate every moment and opportunity, even if it means we are in violation of God's command. And of course, the last scene here that they mention is, it says, selfishness. In selfishness, we get more explanation for why 
we should Sabbath in Exodus chapter 23 verse 12. It says six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work. Why? So that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your house and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Why is this so? Observing the Sabbath isn't all about you. This verse explains that when we rest, we create space for those we lead to rest. Leaders, this is huge. When you don't get rest, you don't allow your family or those who work with you to, to rest. You are leading them to sin as well. That was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful article that I thought uh, may interest you uh, called Three Sins of Refusing to Rest by Jenny uh, Catron. I think this is found on a website called Church Leaders. Yes, it's Church Leaders. Uh, please check it out if you'd like to refer to it and maybe read more articles uh, by this author. Allow me at this point in time to play for you this beautiful, beautiful song. Why? Because we're going to be thinking about and talking about victory over um, temptation when it comes to the flesh. And it's interesting how Chris Tomlin puts the truth of, of, of God's word in this song, Resurrection Power. I pray that it will bless your heart. Let me attempt to post for you the lyrics in the chat as we get blessed by Chris Tomlin, Resurrection Power.
beautiful song this evening. Now I have resurrection power living on the inside. I'm no longer born by sin and darkness. Living in the light of your goodness, you have given us freedom. We've so many times uh, talked about this freedom and uh, finding victory over sin, but what does that exactly mean for us? What does that exactly mean for us? Let me ask Dr. John at this point in time uh, to join us and share with us briefly some of the things he has prepared. And maybe once in a while, I'll interrupt uh, with a question or two uh, for us to better understand the things we are talking about uh, this evening. Dr. John, once again, welcome to Cabin Devils. Thank you so much, David. And uh, I love that song. That's one of my uh, favorites. And and like just hearing uh, the voice and uh, Chris Tomlin singing, I mean, it it is what we've been talking about this week. And it absolutely is something that Jesus has done everything for us to be free. Uh, and this is the one rub where the, where the problem comes in is that we have to actually act free. We have to live free because Jesus has, has set us free. He's made us free. Uh, in Oswald Chambers' devotion uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, so it was the day after we had had our last session on Wednesday, uh, the, uh, uh, the scripture was, uh, if the Son makes you free you shall be free indeed. That's John 8, 36. And, and Oswald, I, I love this. David, you and I texted a little bit about this uh, yesterday, I think. Uh, Oswald says this. He says, our spirit hungers for more and more. It's the way we are built. We're designed with a great capacity for God, but sin, our own individuality and wrong thinking keep us from getting to him. God delivers us from sin, but we have to deliver ourselves from our individuality. This means offering our natural life to God and sacrificing it to him so he may transform it into spiritual life through our obedience. And, and I think that's a key that God, he, he lays it out there for us. And then he says, okay, now I want you to apprehend that. Uh, I want you to not just accept it and believe it, but I want you to structure your life in such a way that you can live in the freedom that I have given you. And the other day we talked about Psalm uh, 90 verse 12. That's the, the Psalm of Moses where he says, so teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And, and the idea there is the same, that God himself has done everything necessary for, from, on his part. The, the problem is that we, on our part, when it comes to struggling with the flesh and disciplining ourselves and eating right and unplugging and, you know, getting a good amount of sleep and then exercise and, and you know, and being available to, to people and available for God, but also having those, those times where we just pull away and 
and really do the, the, the deep work that our soul needs to rest. And, and David, I love that you emphasize that today, because if we just keep pouring out and serving and doing things, it, it becomes uh, just a, a kind of a, 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 a rote action that's just over and over and over and over. And, we're, and pretty soon we're doing church almost like um, just a repeated action. And then those words that Paul talked about being crucified with Christ and therefore I'm not living, uh, it's Christ who lives within me. You know, that is just, those are just words then because it's, it's us living in the power of our flesh. And then those things that you mentioned, Dave, uh, David, pride creeps in, you know, look at all these wonderful things I'm doing, or then we get afraid, maybe I'm not doing enough, maybe I haven't met uh, enough needs, maybe I'm not making, uh, you know, making the, the, the uh, money that I need to, to get through this. Uh, and then maybe we pull back and say, okay, I've been working and doing so many things for so many other people, I'm just going to love on myself now. I'm just going to, you know, focus on myself. And of course, if we get to that point, then the the enemy has really won because, um, you know, he is sitting there uh, watching us. And and, you know, this is a thought that I discussed in my home fellowship last night. The demons and uh, the Satan and the whole, uh, the powers of darkness that war against us and war against our flesh, those uh, angels were cast out of heaven at before the beginning of the world. So, so you know, uh, Lucifer, the, the, the devil, uh, all the demons are, are eternally separate from God. So they're eternal beings. They were around when you and I were born. When everyone who's listening to this um, podcast was born, the, 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 the demons who are assigned to make your life miserable are, are, have studied you since you were a baby. Uh, now, they aren't omniscient. They're not like God where they know things they have to observe, but they're very keen observers. And so they understand what it is that you're uh, tempted by. They understand exactly what it is that you're likely to give into. And so they try to uh, orchestrate the situation where you're tired and you're hungry and you know, you're, you're uh, overwhelmed with a lot of different things going on. And then they give you that one last thing that's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think that's the hardest thing uh, for us to understand. And then we're supposed to have victory over the. Dr. John, you did touch a very interesting point there when you talked about how we get tired and uh, the pride setting in and uh, wanting to uh, accomplish this much. And, uh, but could you just maybe for a minute speak to the phrase, focus on myself. And I think the world has known it as love yourself. They're saying you deserve it. No one is going to love you more. Um, and of course, there has been the confusion. We've had this argument before. Uh, on a particular WhatsApp group that I, I belong to. And 
it's a fellowship again where we we, we simply study God's word, and th- this has come up uh, in the sense that of course they, each argument takes it to the extreme, um, where we talk about the fact that you cannot you can't you can't love someone unless you're willing uh, to forsake certain things about you. But this call to love yourself can be confusing. It can be confusing where they say, okay, take a moment. And uh, and just be you. Treat yourself. Take yourself out <laughs> for dinner and love yourself. And there's a sense in which there's a sense in which they're saying you deserve. You deserve. You worked so hard. Could you just talk to that to us about that? Because even the Bible talks about the fact that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so the argument in the past has been, uh, how do you love another if you cannot love yourself? It's I know it's 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 a uh, it's it's very very, I don't want to say delicate of a topic to talk about because you can swing to the extreme very quickly. But would you like to just speak to us a little bit more about that, especially when we are, our hearts are beginning to think that we deserve good things in life? Uh, yes, great question, and I see Frank's uh, question there too about when do I know that I'm at the edge of burning out and sometimes seeking rest or a means of seeking comfort. And I think this gets to that question that you're asking there, David. Uh, when is it that we turn our focus, and that's the key word, turn our focus inward? And, and I would use the, 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 the verse that I think really helps the most in this regard is in Romans 13, 14, where Paul writes this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that sounds like, wow, I can't ever think of myself then. But what we have to remember is that the flesh, which is a natural part of us, naturally makes provision for itself. Okay, to 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 you know when we're hungry, uh, unless we're we're fasting for spiritual purposes, unless we're doing that, when we're hungry, we eat. When we're thirsty, we drink. Uh, when we're tired, we sleep. Sometimes we don't want to, but we, we do. And so we naturally provide for ourselves. And then the question comes, okay, well, what about my agenda? How much should I plan for my agenda? And I think that's where it kind of slips over because you can't have your agenda and have God's agenda at the same time. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. During my day, as I'm doing that, I get many, many opportunities and many kind of, you know, fun things that happen, uh, enjoyable meals, uh, and all that sort of thing. But I understand that I don't set the course of my life uh, without really spending this time with the Lord and letting him set the agenda. It's really Jesus's 
holy flesh. And if we remember back to Wednesday, we talked about in, in John uh, 6, how Jesus kept saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part with me. Well, it's really once we incorporate Jesus's flesh and Jesus's blood in us that we, you know, then we have the motivation and the power to do all of those things that he wants us to do. Um, the writer of the Hebrews said it this way, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the point is that we are made for service for God by incorporating the, the, the body and blood of Jesus into us. Then when we struggle, and I think this is kind of, uh, Frank and I like it, why can't we merge our agenda with God's agenda? So Frank, you're, you're, you're asking the same, which is, and, and here's the point. When we have this principle in us that's called the flesh, okay, if the flesh asserts its agenda, okay, and makes it our agenda, and then the spirit in us has God's agenda before us, then the whole problem is going to be we're fighting the flesh against the spirit, and we are not going to be able to reconcile those two things. Those, uh, those are, hi, my sweetheart. I just had a two-year-old pop in and, and say hi. Papa's going to give her a No problem. Please go ahead. And uh, Frank, thank you so much. Man, you're on fire this evening. And uh it's interesting how these questions are, are coming up. Um, but Dr. John, if you're still listening in, I'm going to ask a question and then maybe uh, we can we can be able to discuss it when you're back with us. Let me know when you're done with the hug. But in, in trying to think about this, maybe the listeners can help me. Um, we're trying to we are trying to fight a battle here. We we are trying to fight it alone. But the other question I would like to ask, as Dr. John finishes with the previous one, is where is the place of other believers? And uh, I'm asking that in relation to the rest of the body of Christ. How does the rest of the believers participate in this? Is this a personal battle or can I share this burden with Frank? Now, I also must confess that uh, I'm afraid what Frank will think of me when he finds out that I'm struggling with these particular issues. And we, we did... Uh, last week, take a whole episode where we looked at a phrase, mind your own spiritual business, as some of the attitudes that we hear from fellow believers. Um, and I know we did a whole episode on that, but I would like Dr. John to help with this. Um, is it possible that we could find help from other believers, even as we try to fight uh, this battle of the flesh? As you finish up with the previous question, Dr. John. 
Yes, David, it's it's not only possible, it's imperative. We we can't win the battle alone. And this is so Ephesians 6:12 says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." And David, if I think of that fight as me against all of these forces and and the evil uh, demons and all that it, it's absolutely it's going to be overwhelming and and the key thing is it absolutely is a a you know we have to link our arms and work together in this and and have our you know have our brothers backs so victory over flesh for an individual is an individual's freedom to surrender completely to Jesus and to be crucified with him that he might live in me. So think for a second, if everyone that I was involved with in my ministry and my church was free and completely surrendered to Jesus, what a wonderful um relationship, what a wonderful organization that would be. It might look like the early church that was described in in Acts. So Acts 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." And, and in today's terms, since we're spread out all over the world, that might look like a group of people who shared resources around the globe so that those who were well supplied were uh, supplying and providing for those in need. And to me, I think that is something that I'm very excited about uh, that, that I think, and I know I've told you about this, David, it's my prayer that uh, your ministry is fully funded by the end of. I really, really appreciate um, you talking to us about that. Why? Because that concept of selling and making sure no one was in need, we, we sometimes look at it as an early church concept, uh, to be honest. Uh, why? Because today, and I'm not saying we shouldn't save, I'm not saying uh, we shouldn't plan ahead, but it's usually my bills taken care of first. Do I have any need in my life? And if the answer is no, then I can look out and meet the needs uh, of other people, even financially, which I believe can be selfish. And uh, these past two years, if you've heard me throughout this podcast during the pandemic, I've really, really emphasized this fact that we don't have to be okay uh, to help another. We don't need to be okay uh, to help another. Let me take this opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to let you know that this coming December, I think I want to believe it's on the 19th of December, we have once again Samaritan Sunday. 
uh, coming up. What is Samaritan Sunday? It's the day that we chose to do as often as we can, where we allow uh, the community uh, to come and pick items, gently used items. And items, I mean clothes, uh, I mean uh, maybe furniture that you want to get rid of. In the previous Samaritan Sunday, we had someone donate a bed. And uh, it's interesting how many people came in to just want to get these items. And for every person that comes in, we intend to share the gospel with them. We intend to have a gospel conversation with them. And I would like you to be a part of this. I would like you to be a part of this. Please, please, if you have 10 shirts, you can give away some. You don't need 10 shirts. You only need seven, one for each day, one for each day. And you may, you may find that no one notices you have repeated the shirt that week. No one may notice. I know ladies have a dress for every wedding, and it depends on who has attended that wedding. If friends come to that same wedding you're going to, and they were there for the previous one, you mean the new dress, but you don't need all those dresses. Just get a couple of black dresses and repeat them. No one will know which one is which. The problem is ladies talk about these dresses when they meet and they say, oh, I love the dress, first statement. And if you said I love the dress in the previous wedding, most likely they're going to say I love the dress and be like, oops, didn't you wear that in the previous wedding? A lot of explanation going on right now. But this is all to encourage you to be a part of Samaritan Sunday by giving. One of the other things that really happened in the previous Samaritan Sunday is we were overwhelmed. We planned for 200 people, 400 showed up. And so if you are available um, on the 19th of December, please, please come and be a part of Samaritan Sunday. Come and be a part of Samaritan Sunday. We would like to have gospel conversations with everyone that will be coming uh, to meet. Please reach out to me at david at cabindevils.com. David at cabindevils.com. For those of you in Uganda and would like to drop off these items or find out how we can pick them up, we actually have motorcycles that can pick up these items. We will be thrilled to receive them. If you're unable to give clothes, maybe you're in Kenya, South Africa, Rwanda, or Mozambique, you can be able to send us your financial gift. We intend to use these monies, one, to make the day awesome, but also to be able to buy items. We can go ahead and buy second-hand clothes uh, from Owino. We do have a market here called Owino, and these will be made available. Very quick commercial break, and I'm done with that. Now moving on to the next part of our conversation with Dr. John. Thank you so much once again, Dr. John, for uh, being here with us. I really, really appreciate you, especially when you, when you, when you have to drop everything uh, to be here. It's, it's always a joy uh, to have you. Now, talking about winning um, this battle of the flesh, I, I want to liken the physical flesh with the spiritual flesh that we are talking about. And, and, and just like physical exercise... This fight is painful. I mean, if I've not walked for a long time and I decide to exercise, there are those aches that come. But also when I go running, there are moments my body is telling me, just walk, you don't have to run. And then I push it. And no matter the, how painful it is, okay, there are sometimes when the pain can't be too much that you have to walk, but I cannot tell you that it's all a walk in the park. There are moments where you can feel every heartbeat but you have to keep going because it's in that pain that your muscles get to accustom themselves to heavy loads. It's when your heart really beats that, 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 that you get the benefit. 
must victory be painful? Must victory be painful? And maybe I need to ask, Dr. John, do you ever suffer? How can we embrace suffering, especially in this day and age where our prayer requests are casting out pain? Is there a relationship between uh, pain and us exercising our maybe spiritual disciplines to find victory in, 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 in this area uh, of sin and, uh, and the struggle of Christianity? Dr. John, must we struggle? Uh, in a short answer, yes, David. <laughs> that, that is absolutely uh, the, the means of, of victory in the flesh absolutely always comes with struggle and I will say is often accompanied by suffering. Uh, Paul, I love in, in Colossians, we're studying Colossians in our connection group at the church. And in Colossians 1, uh, 24, Paul says this. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And it's a very interesting concept that somehow Jesus's uh, affliction uh, were lacking. And, and Paul, you know, where he says, I'm, I'm rejoicing that I'm suffering because in so doing, in suffering in my flesh, I'm in some way representing the suffering of Jesus in this way. And, uh, and in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I, I love uh, this too. Paul was a master sufferer. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And I love this is verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And, it, and to me, so the, the real victory is not that we have the victory in our flesh in Jesus, but it's that Jesus has the victory in us as he is manifested through our flesh. With an example, Dr. John, how, how does that look like? I've been trying to follow the verses you just read, and how does that look like? I know we've sung the song before, I'm Trading My Sorrows, and it does have a few of those um, wording. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, uh, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, 
but not destroyed. And I've always thought about those statements in the fact with, with the truth that death is not the end. And of course, in him, we have the resurrection. It doesn't matter how much we suffer, no one, no one can take away the resurrection that we have in Christ. But when he says always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in us. Does that seem to mean that we have a target on our backs for the fact that we are Christians, that uh, suffering is coming, whether we like it or not? What do these things mean practically? Um, I, and also the end right there when it says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. What does that look like? Well, David, I'll, I'll say for me personally, uh, I didn't quite understand this when I was your age. Uh, but uh, uh, the closest that I had to it as a young person was when my mom, who was 54, uh, died um, of, a, of a horrible cancer. She was 54 and I was, I was younger. I was in my 20s then. And I, and I thought that was the, the most painful, the worst thing, the hardest thing that I would ever endure in my life. And so I, I felt that way, afflicted, uh, perplexed, uh, you know, persecuted, struck down. I, I, I just felt like, and of course, I, now in retrospect, that doesn't at all seem to me like that was much. Uh, but of course, that was about uh, 30-something years ago for me. The, uh, recently, for me, the most severe recent situation that I've in, endured, and I think we talked about this a little bit, but was a, a, uh, in, in 2019, uh, I've been married for 36 years and my wife uh, left. And, um, and it was something that, you know, we'd been in counseling, we'd been working, there was no infidelity, uh, there were no issues that that uh, that I thought w- warranted, um, you know, separation. Uh, and so even with trying to counsel through all of that, um, you know, the marriage and the family uh, was separated. And, uh, and that has been uh, a horrible situation. And yet, because of that, and I, and, and, and I think sometimes when family um, trials come up like that, the, the, um, the flesh then says, well, now go into yourself and just love yourself and all of these other things. Um, but you know, David, you know, what I have done through this, uh, it's now two years uh, now, is just draw closer and closer to God. And, and so what's interesting is that as Paul is talking about in this Second Corinthians uh, 4 passage here, even through the trial, uh, and this is for me personally, I'm talking about it now, I've gotten a deeper and closer walk with the Lord and a deeper and closer relationship with Him. Um, and, I've, and I've observed many others who go through similar trials or issues. Some of them are health trials where, where they get a cancer or a horrible, um, you know, uh, an, another horrible thing like a child uh, dying, uh, you know, or I had a woman who had her grandchild die. And, uh, and those kinds of things, 
you know, are, are extremely painful and, and extremely difficult. And if we draw close to the Lord, then he shines through us because we realize that it isn't about us. It's about him. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, it's, I must say, difficult. And I, I'll continue. I continue to pray um, that uh, these things will be less painful or that these situations will be no more, at least for us. Um, but again, we, we have to trust that God um, can help us through all of this. And as he does that, in a way, he makes us stronger. And it can be confusing because the pain is real. Um, sometimes circumstances come and we begin to ask, just like the disciples asked Christ, did that guy sin? Was it his parents? And, and these struggles are difficult, extremely, extremely difficult uh, to find answers. And you, you did mention this, uh, Dr. John, in, trying, in saying you're praying that our ministry can be fully funded. But... There are things we want to do. And I just mentioned for you just a couple, even today, in talking about Samaritan Sunday. And and you know that you need like 3,000 pieces of clothes uh, to be able to meet the needs of those who are in the community. And then you go and count and you have 500 uh, pieces. And you know there's no way the 19th is going to happen unless you have the... And you worry and you stay awake trying to worry for the needs of, of the ministry. And all of these things can be can be a challenge. Today I was reading a passage uh, where David uh, did a census for his soldiers to find out how many men can draw the sword. And God <laughs> sends the prophet to ask him the question, how do you want me to punish you today? I mean, they used to do that for our math class. And it, it just reminded me of that very, very difficult question to answer. How do you want me to punish you today? And I think in all of this was David trying to think that he can use logic. He can be able to sort out these issues by just simply knowing how much does he have uh, in his in his uh, resource of soldiers. And so, even as leaders, these can be things that we cannot explain, things we cannot be able to find answers to, and that is suffering in one way or another. And I've share, only shared with you things I can be able to share with you live here, but there's difficult problems to sort out. But one of the encouragements I'm getting to today is through all of this, God is doing something. All we have to do is remain biblical in our thinking. All we have to do is remain biblical in the way we react to these things. Ask yourself the question, is my reaction moral? Is it ethical? Is it ethical? Whether it is your job being threatened whether it's a friend who wants to leave, or maybe you're dating and she wants to move on, ask yourself the question, how am I going to react to this? How am I going to react to this? And so thank you so much, Dr. John, for uh, just sharing the truth of God's word with us, not only for today, but through this entire week. Is there anything else, Dr. John, that you would like to share with us as we come to the end of our time together? Yes, David. I want to. I want to just talk briefly about what we'll talk about in December, because it, it, if we think about the flesh here, we we could get somewhat um, discouraged uh, to think that we're 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 just mortals, and yes, 
you know, we're trying and we're, we're disciplining ourselves, but it doesn't seem like we can get it. And, and the, the great encouragement uh, to me is that God doesn't expect us to be able to do it in our own strength. Um, and in uh, Peter, this apostle who tried in the flesh a lot, <laughs> Peter is, is kind of one of my favorites to, to kind of look at in contrast to Paul, uh, he says this in 1 Peter 3.18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And in 1 Peter 4.1 and 2, he says this, and this is where I'll end. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And I think that Peter is talking from personal experience there. I think that Peter got to the point where he had suffered enough and like Paul had suffered enough. And he said, you know what? My life is completely the Lord's and uh, whatever his will is, that's what my will is. And, and that is what we will study when we go uh, on the spirit. Week. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to before bed, you go to, before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils, your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.